0: Amen. If you love Jesus, can I get a hallelujah? Woo! Y'all love Jesus. How many of y'all had a good Memorial Day weekend? Come on. You guys love Jesus? How about you over here? Good to see my brother. Come on. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. You know, those who have a little uh, color in their skin, they usually don't like to get darker, but those of us who are light love to get darker. So the gringo here, me, I got a lot of sun. I'm so enjoying this, and today we also have a special uh, graduation celebration for Steve Ramos and Jose Riasco at 1.30 p.m. If you want to come, you're more than welcome to come and watch some Bible college students graduate. We are in the middle of this sermon series on the book of Ephesians. It's called In Him, because that's what the book is about, teaching us to be inside of Christ. Today, we're going to learn about unified with Christ, or united with Christ, and that is a huge concept of being in Him. So let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and onward. And what you'll see here is that I've bold uh, some scriptures, and I want you to read wherever there's bold. Can I get an amen for that? Amen, so be it. That's what amen means. If you don't know, it means so be it. Right on. So I need your help. Anywhere where it's bold, I want you to say the scriptures, okay? Paul is writing here to the people of Ephesians, just like you and me. They love Jesus, and they want to be encouraged. Let's be encouraged by this today. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Thank you. Let's keep it up now. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7. In him we have rede- redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Now, verse 10 is our verse today, because remember, we're going verse by verse by verse through every one of these passages, and this verse right here is what we're going to learn today. Let's read it together, one, two, three, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now this is what I have to do. We have been breaking these down verse by verse, and sometimes you can lose the meaning of the whole passage when you're taking it in pieces. It's Sometimes it's like tasting the flour, but not the whole cake. You got to mix it all together and understand what's being cooked up here, what's being baked. That's verses 7 through 10. Paul is making a complete thought, and I want to remind you of the foundations you have learned so you don't miss it and you can get the heavy revy from verse 10. In verse 7, Paul tells us that we've been redeemed, bought with his blood. We have the forgiveness of his sin, a forgiveness of our sins. Why? Because of the riches of God's grace. That's where most of us stop in Christianity. We say, I'm saved. Woo, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. That's awesome. And we forget that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. And there's a plan to why we needed that because we messed up what we were created for in the garden. So there's something that we had that we lost. Jesus got it, restored it, and now said, here it is. I've redeemed you. I've bought you back. You're no longer a slave to the devil. And he's given us all wisdom and understanding to understand this will, the will that he has. What's that will? For humanity to be in divinity. We were made according to the triune nature of God to be in divinity humanity and divinity through the trinity the trinity said let us make mankind plural in our image and so we have to see that there are three persons that share the divine nature father son holy spirit how many persons are in divinity three don't get confused we're just talking basic but i'm talking fast how many persons are in the divinity of god three how many persons are in humanity billions, many, many, right? But the idea was for humanity to be in divinity through the trinity. We lost it because of sin. Then God chooses Abraham to start a nation. Through that nation is going to come the Messiah to fulfill the things that we didn't. He's going to put one hand in glory, the other one in the gutter and bring them together. He's going to mediate between man and God. And it's not like the picture where you see man wasn't this close to God. There was a gulf between us greater than eternity itself. We can never cross over that chasm Jesus had to do it he made known this mystery now that Jews and Gentiles those from Abraham's lineage and everybody else can now come to Christ and be united to God now watch verse 10 Verse 10 is meaningful because it doesn't end with Jesus in your heart. It doesn't end there. It ends with him stepping back on this earth and making everything come under his power. And where does it start? In here. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where does the kingdom come first? Here. In my heart. God is no longer out there. He's in here. Where is the kingdom of God right now? It's in here. But where will it be one day? It will be everywhere. It will be in the birds. It will be in the trees. I'm telling you, but people, it's going to be in all of creation. Some of you have seen some of these shows where the animals talk or the trees talk, like Lord of the Rings, the Ents. And you see these things. This is the ideal world. The ideal world is what Disney tries to capture. It's at the end of the story where the prince has got his princess. The kingdom is upon that land, and it's a great kingdom. And then all the birds are singing, the trees, whatever else they've animated in that movie. I'm telling you. And the idea is here is that God wants you to know this is the hope for your life. 80 years here for eternity with him in the future. And this is what we have to wait for, for the times to reach their fulfillment. Do you see this? We're waiting for this to happen. And that's why we sometimes get discouraged because we see people take political office that we don't like. And we say, God, when are you coming back? We hear about another terrorist attack in London. God, when are you coming back? We hear about the devastation that happens to children children and the abuse of this world. And our heart cries out, God, when are you coming back? And Jesus is telling us here through the apostle Paul, I'm coming. My reward is with me. My coming is nigh. And so he's encouraging us and it's all going to happen. It will happen. And listen to this. Please get this in your heart today. As surely as you know that the Holy Spirit is in you, as surely as you know you've been transformed, is as surely as the world will be transformed. What was the difference? What, what happened between November 5th, 1995 and November, uh, November 4th, 1995? What happened? November 4th, high school dropout, on drugs, addicted to perversion. November 5th, set free. Never had sex again until I got married. Never did drugs again. What happened? Jesus came into my life. Jesus came into my life. It literally made all the difference. And so what's going to make the difference upon this world? Everybody says, let's get rid of evil. Okay, let's start with you and get rid of you then. We are the evil of the world. We're the one that has taken the apple. We're the one that invited Satan to be here, that fallen traitor angel. And so if God's going to get rid of angels and send them to hell, he has to send us to hell, right? But Jesus comes and says, I'll give them another chance. I'll give them one more other chance to be born again. And so now here you are. You get to side with the traitor of hell if you want and then go to hell with him or you can side with Jesus Christ the Son of God, and go to heaven and live upon the new earth. Are you with me? And so as we've said before, many will be shouting out, oh, no, oh, no, as Jesus comes back, because they're going to lose all their sandcastles of power, all their sandcastles of influence. All of them are going to be shouting out, oh, no, oh, no, but the Christian's going to be saying, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the day when that comes, and what you have to get in your heart today is this is the plan it isn't just to be saved in your heart it isn't just to have 80 years and uh, accumulate things it's to understand god made you for an eternal purpose can i hear an amen well that's my preaching before i preach now let's keep going on with the passage one more time verse 11 in him it's not one more time it's many more times but help me out verse 11 In him we were also chosen. See, now he goes back into that thought. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. When we are in heaven, we will see how even the devil worked out for the purpose of his will. Everything we went through, every painful experience, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now do you remember when we talked about redemption? I tied the redemption of now to the redemption of the future. What is the difference between the redemption of now and the redemption of the future? The redemption of now is for our souls and our spirits and eternal, an eternal rebirth. The redemption, redemption coming is an external rebirth of a new body having a resurrected body like Christ but what is the promise that we know that it is going to happen it is the Holy Spirit in us now that guarantees what's going to happen then are you with me now come on as I take a breath I want you to take one with me you can close your eyes if you want I'm going to because it just helps me as you're taking a breath I want you to exhale do it again come on And I want you to know that in your spirit, you are closer to God than that breath is to your lungs. You are closer to God right now by the Holy Spirit than that breath is to your lungs. There is an inheritance to come, but it's not blind faith. The same Jesus that came the first time raised from the dead and was witnessed by 500, and those witnesses built the largest organization on the world, wrote the most popular book read by men, and made the man the most popular man of all time, the church, the Bible, and Jesus. As surely as that is true by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is saying there's a kingdom coming. There's a new body for you. There is a new dwelling place for you. And so today's message actually ties in the whole concept of the book of Ephesians. And so these are the 14 things in our mini-series that we're learning in this passage, and we're already halfway through, so hang in there. We'll get to Paul's prayer in a few more weeks. We've already done seven. Today we're doing eight, United, with, uh, unified with Christ. Everybody say, unified with Christ. Thank you. The other title says, united with Christ. Same idea. What do you think we'll talk about next week? God's plan, and then the weeks onward. So make sure you guys are here. The definitions are simple. Unity, unified with Christ, literally means to bring together as one. And the Bible says all things will be one day unified with Christ. And what do you think all means? What do you think it means in the Greek? What do you think it means in the Hebrew? come on somebody, all, everything, nothing lacking, nothing outside of God's plan, all things under Jesus. Now here's my task, right? I go verse by verse and I have to explain it. So here's my task for this week. I've got to explain to you unified with Christ. So I got a great idea. As a pastor, I'll let you into the thinking of my mind. I'm going to start in the book of Ephesians, explain to you what it means to be unified with Jesus because that's the theme of Ephesians. That's why we have series in him. And then I'm going to move from the book of Ephesians and hit on some other verses. That should be real simple to do, right? Well, so I started posting up the verses just in Ephesians. You can look on the screen. As I started posting these up from Ephesians, I started seeing that there's quite a bit of these verses in Ephesians that talk about being unified with Christ. And I said, well, maybe I missed them. And that's when I went back over them and, and had to bold them. And I'm like, no, these are actually talking about being unified with Christ. My friends, I had 15 passages, I can't even get you out the book of Ephesians right now with this limited time that I have to explain to you what it means to be unified in Christ. But what I will do is give you my best shot at it. Can you say, help him, Lord? I want you to hear this once again. I can talk fast as an Italian. I will do my best. But whatever you don't get today, go back to these notes and continue to study. What I will do is highlight the things that I went back through the second time and made bold so that you can get the big picture here. We just read Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. It talks about unity of all things. Unity of how many things? All things. Under who? Under Christ. There it is. Under who? Under Christ. We go on then to chapter 1 and verse 22 and 23. God places all things under Jesus. And then the church, which is known as His body, is filled to the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. How much of Jesus fills you right now? To the fullness. You are not lacking anything of Jesus right now. The moment you were born again, brought into Jesus, you came into the fullness of God. There isn't a part of God in you. All of God is in you. The only difference between here and heaven is your body. What makes heaven heaven is that that's a place where only perfect bodies can dwell. You don't have one of those. That's why he left and kicked you out the garden and didn't let us eat the uh, the tree of life because we would have lived perfectly. I mean, uh would have lived forever as an imperfect body. Do you all remember the story? They ate the wrong fruit, became cursed with sin. Now he says, get them out of here lest they eat the other one and live forever, basically in damnation. But he had to exit earth. We had to exit the garden. But when you are brought into Christ, into Jesus, as much of God that was in Adam and Eve is in you right now. The only difference is your body can't see it because your body is a sinful body of death that must die. And that's why Jesus rose from the dead so you can get a new one of those. Look at your neighbor and say, there's an upgrade coming. Thank you. We also learn in Ephesians chapter 2, 6 and onward that he raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in heavenly realms. You're sitting right now. Your holy backside, amen, is sitting in Chicago. But where is your spirit and soul right now? In heavenly realms. Once again, why is it in heavenly realms? Because wherever God is, is heaven. What makes heaven heaven? Streets of gold? No. What makes heaven heaven? Angels? No. What makes heaven heaven is simply this. This just keep this as your definition of heaven. Where Jesus is. What makes hell hell? Where Jesus is not? You are where Jesus is now. You are in heavenly realms with him. Jesus does not have to uh, wait to bring you the taste of heaven. When Jesus made you a new creation, heaven came with him. He is what makes heaven heaven. Can I hear an amen? And that's why we keep talking about hell on earth, because the devil is here with sinful people. But we need to bring heaven on earth, amen? We need to see the light push back the darkness until the fullness of time, when Jesus says once and for all, this is my kingdom, my world, my way. Those who don't want it are going to uh, perish. Now go to Ephesians 10, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in who? Create Christ Jesus. Created in who? Christ Jesus. You were Created in Christ Jesus as surely, come on somebody, pay attention to the preacher now. As surely as you were created by Adam and Eve through DNA in the garden, by the uh, word of God, uh, Jesus known as the Logos, breathing into you life through Adam and Eve. You know, we are there in our DNA in that sense. Represent They represent all of humanity. As surely as that happened, they were created. You were recreated when you were born again. You were recreated into the image of God. It was restored within you. If you doubt that, then you doubt what salvation is all about. You doubt what it means to be born again. And that's why Paul is reminding us over and over and over again that we are now in him, that we are the handiwork of God, that we are created anew in God. Now go to Ephesians 2:11 and onwards, starting in verse 12, it says, you once were separate from Christ. See, this is how it ties together. Without Christ, you're not in Christ. Sounds pretty simple, right? With Christ, you're in Christ. So if you don't have Christ, you don't have God. It literally says that you were without God in the world. That means before you were born again, you were dead in sin. Those who are dead in sin are not in God. Those who are not in God live as if God doesn't exist. Now, they may be religious in some sense in another false religion, but the idea is the real God is not interacting with them. And Paul says they're separated from God as if God didn't even exist to them. But as surely, everybody listen to me, once again, as surely as we were created in Adam and Eve, we're recreated in Christ. As surely as we were separated from Christ, now in Jesus, we're in Christ. So now God is in the world, and God is in the world of our soul and spirit starting from there flowing as a river to the world around us. Now, once again, this does not diminish the omnipresence of God, meaning that God is all present. But we are not pantheists. That means that God is the table and nature and those things. That's what Buddhists and some Hindus are. We are not that, but we understand that God surrounds and encompasses everything and sustains the, the world in its natural order. But he is not in, in, literally in people unless they accept Christ. And so yes you can be in the world that God made sustained by him and experience his creative power and his omnipresence but you are not in him until you come into Jesus. And that's why it says you who are far away have now been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. So how do we get to come into God? How do we get to be transdimensional? Come out of our sin into the dimension of heaven. Go from being sinners to saints. born Born a sinner but born again a saint by the blood of jesus amen can i hear an amen? amen continuing in this why is he doing that once again well just so i don't go to hell uh hell no he's doing this for this purpose his purpose was to create in himself a new what a new humanity first humanity garden of eden brought the sentence of death and the curse everything everything you see in this world you don't like is a result of their bad decision in christ he restores what we lost and what went wrong now in christ we are a new humanity is anybody here in christ today well you're a part of the new human race That is as real as it can get. We do believe in this world there are different uh, colors of melanin on our skin, shapes of the eyes. But there's still only one race, the human race. And even more so now the Bible says in the God kind of race there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. All are one in Christ. Can I hear an amen? And then, of course it says, for through him, we both have access by the Father through the Spirit. Now, the whole point of Paul going into these ideas here is that the Jewish people, because they received the promises of Moses, thought that it was all just for them. That's not true. It applies to non-Jewish people as well. So the two groups of people in God's mind for the Old Testament was Jew and non-Jew. Jew and everybody else. Jew and not Jew. Okay. Now, both come together, and they create that new humanity. Uh, they become that new humanity that God created. And here is, it, here is it in the Trinity. Are you ready? The, the humanity. Let me say it like this. Humanity was meant to know divinity in the what? The Trinity. I'm going to say it again. Humanity was meant to know divinity in the what? The Trinity. You want to see it? For through him. Who is the him there? That is Jesus. Through him, we have both access to the what? Father, by the Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's how you get in. Does everybody get that? Starts with Jesus, then you get into God. That's why I have the triangle representing Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But what is the doorway into divinity so you can experience the Trinity? Jesus. He said, I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's why you need Jesus. He's the only one that poured out His blood for our forgiveness. And then we become members of His household. So what Jesus became in humanity is now the stamp that we all get upon us. What did Jesus becoming a humanity perfect holy without sin that's not just for him that is for him to start a new human race like him he is starting a new human race like Jesus not like Adam and Eve Jesus is literally called the second Adam how many are glad you can dump that first Adam come on You can dump that first Adam and get with the second Adam. And that's where we become members of his household. And this is that whole Revy we'll get into, you know. By the way, I'm only on five of, what, 15 scriptures that I have here and so much to do. But listen, this is where you get into the idea of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say unified. Come on, unified. Why did they have a temple in the Old Testament? Because God was separate from man. God picked a place for man to come. Man had to perform sacrifices to be able to get into that place. Do it wrong, you die. Touch the ark of the covenant wrong, you die. Right tracking with me? Do it wrong towards the treat the priests wrong. Oh, the earth will swallow up. You know you'll die. You'll fall in there. A lot of death and destruction is showing how serious God's uh, holiness is. But what happens as Jesus dies on the cross? The veil that separated the holy from the most holy place rips in two. Now you become the temple of God. This is the plan for us to become the, 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 the beings that God dwells within. It was never meant to be in a temple. That's why we don't have to make this place all ornate. And some of you like that style, and that's okay. Maybe a Greek Orthodox church, a cathedral, whatever's your style, a little Gothic, some of you over here. But anyways, uh, but that's not the point. The point is it was never meant to be you building another man in God. It was never meant to be you, a church, a priest, and then God. It was always meant to be you and God like this. You and God like this. We lost it. Jesus brings it back. Now you are the temple of God. Can I hear an amen? We're one body. We're called the temple of God. We're called the bride of Christ. We're called the body of Christ, the household of Christ. All of these talking about our unification with Him. Sharing in the promise of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3.10 says that through the church, those of us now gathered together, we manifest the multi-dimensional wisdom of God to the rulers of the air. We're showing them, you lost Satan, you traitor, you lost. We now get a second chance and we choose him. And so every day you wake up, you terrify the devil because you remind him that he lost in Jesus won. What Jesus did in humanity now reminds him that there is redemption for us and none for him. Come on, somebody. Now it's all about love. That's where Paul goes in Ephesians 3. We're unified with Christ, not just to be a robot that he stamps out in his uh, factory of creation. No, we were made in his image to be self-aware, self-conscious beings that can love and be loved. The greatest disappointment in the garden isn't the necessary desire of the uh, the apple because God would have given us all good things that we need. It was the wrong placement of our desires. We love something more than Him. And so that was what we did to God. We broke His heart before we broke His laws. Somebody put that on Facebook. We broke His heart before we broke His laws. And so in love He comes back to us. Father sends the Son to die for us. Holy Spirit in Acts what the Father and Son have done. And now what does paul want us to experience what is he praying for that we would experience great power great power for what to love god to know that he dwells within our hearts look at this i pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you okay what's he going to give me strength for to pass my test to make more money no strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith He wants you to know that Christ is really there because sometimes we doubt, don't we? We doubt when we look at ourselves in the mirror because we don't see Christ. We see the human body. We doubt because we don't hear his thoughts. We hear our thoughts, stinking thinking. And Paul is saying, I just pray one thing for you guys today, that you know that he dwells in your heart and that you know his love for you and you get filled to the full measure of the fullness of God that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How many want to be filled to the full measure of God? There's nothing greater than that. And it comes through His love. few more verses. Unity of the Spirit. Why does God unify us by the Holy Spirit? For the purpose here of the church to get the message out to the world. It's a deposit guarantee. what's to come and then it's the Spirit that's going to bend the knee of every sinner and it's the Spirit that's going to make them say Jesus is Lord. Yes, right now the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, but one day He will be the enforcer of heaven. He will make Muhammad confess Jesus is Lord. He will make every person bow their knee buddha will bow his knee before jesus but glory to god for those who get to do it now freely amen because there is only one god and father who is overall through all and in all so it's all about what the father planned the son enacted and what the holy spirit brought about go back to creation father wants to create through the word his son jesus holy spirit makes it happen can i hear an amen we see that's why he gives us the church why the church should be unified now is because we represent the kingdom to come there will be no rebellions in the kingdom to come, there will be no Adam there will be no uh, anything nuclear physics, everything will be in line with the kingdom of God, there will be no more natural disaster, there will be no more asteroids, uh, you know, fearing to come hit us from outer space, everything will be unified, so where do we start by showing the unity now? in the church, through the leadership, can I hear an amen to them? Why? Because we're supposed to be built up in this body of Christ to mature. So think about it like this. I have a baby and I name her Joy. She's a perfect joy in the sense she could not be any more my daughter than she is at that moment. But she can grow up and mature as my daughter. Are you with me? So we're perfect in Christ, but we're being perfected in our behavior as we learn who Christ is in us. And it's not a trickery of words. My daughter is perfectly my daughter. No if, ands, or but. There's no way around it. This is your daughter. If I went on Maury Povich, you know, she's my daughter, but she doesn't know how to always act as my daughter. There's a maturing process, a growing process. That's why you're here is to grow, become mature and perfect. That's the word Greek in the Greek uh, for perfect is uh, mature is teleos, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Do you get a pattern there? How much of God are you supposed to have? The full measure, all of it, fullness, Ephesians chapter five, uh, chapter four, fifteen. Watch this. This one is another powerful one about unification. We will grow to become in how many aspects? Every respect or every aspect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So how many aspects and respects of your life are supposed to be like Jesus today? Every one of them. You are to grow up in every one of those areas. There's not a place where a Christian can make an excuse and say, I was born such and such a way because God made you born again in the image of God. And if it doesn't get clear there, Paul keeps going. Same guy, same book, next chapter. Look at what he says. To be made new in the attitude of your mind put on your what self? So who gave me that new self? Christ, I got it from Jesus. Created. What is my new self created to be like? Created to be like God in what? In holiness. Thank you. If I'm outside of Christ, I only have my old self. I only have the mess that I make. And here's the problem. This is why many people cannot go into heaven. is because they don't think their old self is that bad. Self-deception is the worst deception because you tell yourself the biggest and loudest lies. You have to admit who you are and who you are not. I, without Christ, I am a sinner. Without Christ, I am messed up, tore up from the floor. I'm needing a checkup from the neck up. Without Christ, I am not self-made. I'm a self-made mess, if anything. But in Christ, the opposite is true. I'm like God. I have a new self. I was created for true righteousness and holiness. So when I read the Bible and I hear an instruction, I go, amen. That's for me. Holy Spirit, empower me to do it. When I do it wrong, I say, I messed up. Not God's fault, not the devil's fault, and not this flesh's fault. So, Lord, forgive me, empower me, I'm going back at it again. Though the righteous fall seven times, they get back up. We may sin and fall as who we are uh, as as, uh, Christians, but that doesn't change our identity. My daughter's behavior doesn't change her identity. The only thing that would change her identity is she renounced me as her father. The Christian is not in danger of hell unless they renounce God and go into unbelief. Sin is taken serious, but it's not sin that then kicks us out of the relationship of God because sin in its opposite nature is good works and good works did not bring us in. So if good works did not bring us in, sin cannot bring us out. But what brought us in was faith. What brings us out is unbelief. That's what Romans 11 says is that by unbelief they get caught out and by belief you stay in. And that's what determines whether or not you will want to live holy or want to live in sin. If you really believe, that Christ is in you he watches everything that you do you will want to please him and obey him that is by faith if you don't think God cares about what you do and it doesn't matter you'll be religious play the game and God will call that sinful and cut you out but how many want to live according to the new self amen and then he just keeps going and I'm not even halfway through what I got to do today help me Lord in Ephesians 5:8 and onward he said once you were darkness but now you are what You are light in the Lord. Does darkness have any light? Does light have any darkness? See, which one are you? When we're unified with Christ, we're light. Why are we light? Because we're in Christ. When we're outside of Christ, that's why we're dark, because there's no light in the devil. And I put some of these things up, uh, some of the guys put them up on Facebook from earlier. You know, only thing the devil can do is what a rock thinks about. And I want you to think about that. What do you think a rock can think about today? That's all the devil can do. On his own, the devil is absolutely powerless. He still lives in the nature God gave him, even though he rebelled and made it to be sinful, but he still lives in that nature. That's what was given to him by God. He didn't create himself. He doesn't have any more power than what God allows him to have. He was allowed to tempt us, and he's allowed to work evil, but that evil will turn for good. And so anything you ever see darkness do, never be afraid of that. Fear God only. Fear God, the one who will sentence darkness to its destruction. And so what we need to do is put our trust in God. Put our trust in what he has for us. So you don't believe me? You think that's too philosophical? Let's just try it like this. You look at Chicago. A lot of darkness. You don't think the light of the church or Christ can change it? Well, let's do a little experiment. Go into your cellar. Go into your basement. Turn off all the lights. It's dark, right? Is it really dark? It's dark down there. Some of you got those places. My wife used to have to do laundry down there in one of those little basement apartments. It was scary. She didn't want to go. So go to one of those places and then do, just do this. Get a little match and turn it on what wins darkness or light okay so you probably weren't in a dark enough room right because you could probably get into a dark enough room where that light still won't work right no it doesn't matter how dark darkness is the smallest light expels it what are you in this world you are the light of the world you are the salt of the earth that's what jesus said about you there is no darkness anywhere on these streets, in any ISIS land, anywhere you see in this world. That's any comparison to the power of God. Light conquers darkness. The only power the devil has is what a rock thinks about. Think about that. Ephesians chapter Because he's here because we let him be here. In other words, if we started living for Jesus, he wouldn't be here anymore. You say, well, people still have free will. Yes, but we can put their free will in jail if there's enough righteous of us. Amen. We can get the corruption out of our land. There's always been corrupt people, but there hasn't been this type of stuff we see right now. The devil is having a field day with what's going on in our young people, what's going on in this city because of his lies. Light needs to expel darkness. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, talks about marriage. Now watch this. You're sitting at a wedding ceremony this spring or summer, and you're going to hear a priest say this or a pastor. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. I hope you never see the scripture the same, because when they read it, I want you to shout out amen, even if they look at you funny. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul was not trying to pick an example of sex and go, I think that fits into the example of God. No, no, no. God said, when I create man in my image, I want to give them an enjoyable example that will always remind them of the unity that I have within their spirit because as much as they breathe, I'm closer than the air they breathe. I'm closer than when a man and a woman make love. I'm closer to them than that. Now that's your mystery. That's the mystery of marriage. Marriage, and it's been solved, by the way. Why do you get married? To reflect the image of God. That's why you have sex and enjoy it. And when it's done pervertedly, and when it's done in abuse, the only reason why it's ever thought of as abuse, perversion, homosexuality, all of these things is because it's a criminal act against the intention of God. The intention of God was two separate persons of two separate genders interpenetrating each other. Let me use some biblical uh, theological words. Don't get get your mind in the gutter, but interpenetration is how the Greek fathers would describe humanity and divinity. And you see it in husband and wife. And these were the examples that God gave us to understand how much he loves us. In heaven, there is no sex, but there is something greater than sex, and that's the unity of of divinity and humanity. The unity a lover finds with their lover, a spouse finds with their lover, is the example of what God finds with you. And there's not a sexual organ involved because he's a spirit with your spirit. But when he wanted to show a physical representation of what it was like, he gave us sex and marriage. And then lastly, it gets quiet when I preach like that, but it's still an amen, amen. Still an amen to that. And when you're wanting to be strong, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. You can't be strong without God. Can I hear an amen? Look at your neighbor and say, that was the introduction. i got to get you to the applications. I couldn't even read all the passages. I can't even take you really outside the book of Ephesians. Are you excited about learning about God today? Are you learning about who you are? Amen? We're unified with Christ. We are in Jesus, and it means something. Well, here are the things that it means. Here are just a few of them because I would have kept you for another 15 points, right? Here are just a few of the things that it means. In Christ, you're never going to be closer to God than you are right now. As we talked about before, your spirit and his spirit are one. Heaven or earth doesn't change that. You being in God's presence is only a difference of location, but not in your heart and your spirit, why do we need a new body? So we can live in his presence forever and not be a disembodied spirit like Casper floating around in heaven. But there is no difference between your spiritual union with God now than when it will be in heaven. You don't get born again, again when you die. Death is not your savior. Jesus is. You were unified with Christ in your faith profession. And the repentance of your sin, you came into Christ, were seated with him in heavenly realms. That is the truth. The next thing that we learn, and this is that one scripture, the one that I just had to throw in there, is that you are a partaker in the divine nature with God. You get to partake of it, Second Peter 1, 4. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may what? Participate in what? The divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires your spirit and soul has already hit the eject button and has been set free from your damnable body. You're already free from it right now. That's why the Bible says, those who know the truth, uh, he says, whoever knows the truth shall be free because the truth will make you free. You guys are with me on that. And it says, whoever's son sets free is free indeed. You are free from your sinful body's desires right now. The eject button's ever already been hit. So live like it. When you struggle in temptation, say, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And how many believe he'll answer that prayer every time? The Lord, don't answer my prayers. I've been praying for a million dollars. I've been praying for this hot wife. I've been praying for this new job. Well, let's start with the basic prayers. Why don't you learn to pray this one? Lord, I don't want to have sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend today. Would you please lead me not into temptation? Start right there, and you'll see an answer to prayer real quick. God will give you an answer to that, won't he? He'll say, don't go over there tonight. You'll hear it as a still, small voice. Anybody ever hear the voice of Jesus? You know you need to start praying those simple prayers. Lord, I feel like slapping somebody right now. Don't slap anybody, daughter or son. Just pray for them. Can you slap somebody while you're praying for them? Maybe my mom could. Help him, Lord. Help him, Jesus. Maybe my mom could, but you know what I'm saying. You can't, you can't have spring and fresh water uh, fresh water and salt water at the same time. God is teaching you to live in the new nature. We have an old nature, but don't live in it. It's not you anymore. You are a new you. Amen? In, in Christ, the church is the fullness of God displayed in the universe, now internally, soon to be externally. When you see those pictures of Africa, doesn't that touch your heart? When you see pictures of the Philippines, touches your heart. When you see pictures of what God is doing in San Francisco, it touches your heart. There is something unique about the body of Christ on this earth. It is the taste of heaven. Multiple nations, multiple ages, getting along together, at least for the most part. Amen? Not too many sassy saints here. Can I hear an amen for that? And what we do is we represent Christ here. Number four, in church, the body and the bride of Christ, we express the nature and love of God. So what you learn here, you express out there. You should treat people out there as you're treated in here. People should love on you here, and you should be loving on people out there. You should show, uh, answer to prayer in your daily life here. You should have somebody to testify about, like like how we're testifying, you know, because people are like, God ain't never paid my bills. Well, he just did for us. He just saved us $3,500. Well, you still had to work for it. With the body he gave me, you know, you just turn it around on them, and you give them a testimony. You show them what God has done. Now, is it always smooth sailing? No, they crucified Jesus. So what do you think they'll do to you at times? Amen. But the idea is there should be some testimonies about God's nature and his love in your life. Let them know us by our love for each other. And then lastly, another application is that in Christ, we are light intermingled with the light of God. Everybody go, ooh. That's why I'm going to show you a pretty picture now. I want to end on these pretty pictures because I want you to get it, okay? And if I had another half hour, I'd put on some of that music you hear in the spa, you know, like those different sounds of waters going down and, you know, got Jerry here, a massage therapist. But here is where we understand the unification. God is spirit. We are spirit. We live in a body, so God has made our body his temple. You could say that God in this example is the red flame. We're the, the blue flame. We are still man. We never become another nature. That's called ontology. God made man, not another God. We're not little gods running around. He made angels and he made men. And men are greater than angels because we're made in the image of God, okay? We've now been subjected to them because we have fallen, but one day we will rule over them and judge them, okay? But now listen to this. God is spirit and you are spirit. You are of the same substance of him because of his breath that he breathed in you. That's why at the end of the book of John, he breathed in them again, because what was lost was then restored. The Holy Spirit had not yet been given in that way. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on them like a cloak and then remove himself from them. It wasn't until Jesus that the dove rested upon him and did not remove himself. After Christ, he then is raised from the dead. He breathes on them, tells them the way for Pentecost, and he says, now you have what I had. As a man, Jesus had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit permanently. That's what you now have. Do you understand? He doesn't come on and off of you. We may use that language to help us in a service setting. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, do this. But he is already here. So in actuality, we're saying Holy Spirit, flow through us to the world around us. And so now look at this. You are of human nature. He is of divine nature. But you are all of spiritual nature. And so there is where he meets you. When you look at what Jesus talked about, literally he said it like this, I am the vine and you are the branches. He didn't say, I am the vine and you're just a dirty old thing over here somewhere. No, he said, I'm the vine and you're like me, but you're not a vine, but you're a branch. But you are like me, and then I will use you to bring forth fruit that will bring glory to my Father. And so do you see yourself in this place? If you are not, you are cut off. The Bible says as a, as a cut off branch soon to be cast into the fire. But if you have come into Christ, he is the vine, you are the branch, and now fruit is coming through you. That is the union of God. This is the divine intermingling with humanity. And Jesus is our example of how we can do it. Not in our own strength, but by the Holy Spirit. How many today are saved? How many are sanctified? How many are filled with the Holy Ghost? Would you stand up with me and give it up for Jesus? Let's give it up for Jesus. Amen. Woo! We love you, Lord. It's all about you, Jesus. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? I want to leave you with these two thoughts, and and hopefully an opportunity to really worship and put this into practice today, because, I mean, this is more caught than it is.